Today on the Priority Queue, more love for DMVPN. We advanced the DMVPN discussion a little further, this time focusing on using certificates for endpoint authentication. I'm Ethan Banks. You can follow me at EC Banks on Twitter. This, of course, is the Packet Pushers podcast, our Priority Queue channel. You can follow all the Packet Pushers shows at Packet Pushers on Twitter. Joining me today, uh, as I said, Nick Moody. Nick, welcome to Packet Pushers. And if you would, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, I'm Nick Moody. I'm an independent network and security engineer working in the UK. I work for enterprise, financial, public sector and service providers. I'm primarily focused on security, firewalls, load balancers, but also really enjoy pretty much all aspects of routing and switching in general. I started out back in 1994 working as a field support technician, installing and supporting EPOS systems before moving into a system administration type role for a number of years, uh, and then finally on to focusing on network and security. Despite spending a fair amount of time on on design and architecture these days, I still very much enjoy being hands-on with implementation. I'm certainly not ready to put my tool down just yet. I'm having <laughs> no, far too much fun. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Every once in a while, I've got to just get in there and build something, even if it's just in the lab, you know, to make me feel like I did sure. some actual work. <laughs> so I, I know what you mean. I, I have to ask, so systems administration, when you started way back in the uh, the mid-90s there, was uh, was part of that. Uh, Novell? Yeah. No, no, that was um, not, not Novell, no. Ethernet was very much a thing when I when I used to do that. Um, system administration, from, from my perspective, was... Um, so they did have Novell, but that was there was another team that kind of dealt with that at that time. Most of my system admin stuff was Windows servers, Linux... Um, ah, okay. basic sort of networking, firewalls, that type of generalist, if you like. So, okay. The subject today, Nick, is certificate-based DMVPN and uh, doing a design and build on that. Um, I've done some small DMVPN work, but I always did it with pre-shared keys. In other words, the way I would get routers to authenticate and uh, and stand up the IPsec tunnel would be with just a pre-shared key that you could paste into the config. And it was very easy. You know, that's uh, how you would authenticate the devices one to another. It wasn't uh, complicated, but I mean, I mean, I guess I understand that that was not the most secure way to go about things because that pre-shared key is a point of compromise. Um, and someone could get a hold of that key. Maybe it's not like the, the key would be, you know, decrypted or any of that kind of thing. It just doesn't, as long as you've got the key, that's all that it takes to bring that uh, to prove your, your identity to the other side. And, and, and certificate authentication is a much stronger way to to authenticate the identity of that remote router i mean that that's my understanding would you agree with that nick yeah absolutely yeah, and yeah so, sure. so so let's get into that a little bit explain you know you know if i appreciate key basically a password is one way to authenticate but a certificate is different and it's it's better how in what ways is it better so a certificate is based on 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 a hierarchical form of trust um in that you have trusted authorities um, and those those trusted authorities you you have to put some confidence into um, and the certificate when the routers authenticate with certificates uh, providing they they trust the certs and the, and they they pass the validation process then you've got the router has a, a good level of confidence if you like that it can trust the identity of the peer that it's trying to connect with in other words it's not just I know the password it's I have the certificate that says I am who I say I am. And, and in the certificate, you can trust the certificate because it was issued by these other organizations that uh, you can trust that they are who they say they are. So 
I have the certificate that says I am who I am. And then I have these people backing me up and validating that uh, what I say is in fact true. And so you've got this, this chain of trust that, um, that, as you said, hierarchically identifies that you are who you say you are. Great. Okay. So but the, the trick is, and, and part of the reason I've never bothered with certificates is it's, it seems like it's a pain in the butt and it's kind of complicated <laughs> to, uh, to make certificate based authentication uh, in DMVPN or any context, but in DMVPN particularly, uh, go is, is it all that hard or? All aspects of key management are hard. Right. That, that's, that's, that's my view on it. Whether you use pre-shared keys or, or, or certificates, certificates, authenticated VPNs, obviously add a, a much deeper level of complexity, if you like, because there are lots more moving components with certificate based off. A lot of devices rely on certificates these days, more, more and more. Everything's becoming encrypted all, all the time. You know, the internet's more, more widely being, been encrypted. I think we're, we're all going to be working with certificates a lot more than what we have done previously. Um, a lot of people are, that I find are certainly quite afraid of, of certificates in general. But it, it's all down to the planning, I think. If you, if you get the planning right and you, and you get your subject knowledge well and do your research, then uh, I don't think there's too much to be scared of. Well, all right. Let's start dissecting the pieces and parts that I would need if I'm going to use certificate-based authentication instead of pre-shared keys in my uh, Cisco DMVPN. One thing, Nick, would be my uh, certificate authority or you know, how do I – I guess I should back that up. It, it, I, the certificates have to come from somewhere. I can't just like create the certificate. The certificate's got to be issued by some uh, authority that has got the authority to validate that that certificate is good. Um, so how, where do I start from there? So I guess that depends on, on, on your deployment. If, if we were to look at a DMVPN deployment, for example – you could you can use a Cisco router as a CA, so you can stand up an authority, a certificate authority directly on a Cisco router. In which case, you're you're responsible for for, for generating that authority, if you like, that hierarchical basis that, that you're going to use to to produce all your certificates with. If for some reason that you you're not able to do to to, to leverage the Cisco uh, as a certificate authority, and you have a, a a policy or a security requirement to use. Um, an external PKI, maybe one that you already have or one that you plan to deploy specifically for DMVPN, then you would need to look at building a, a, a new PKI specifically for, for the DMVPN. Now, when you say PKI, I'm thinking public and private key infrastructure. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, so P, PKI is, is, is a term used for, um, so there are lots of components around, around PKI. So there are there are tiers of PKI um, in terms of whether or not you decide to stand up. So a two-tier PKI, for example, would, would consist of a root certificate authority and at least one or other subordinate certificate authorities. Um, they will be servers of some description. Along with that, you're going to have the various other components that make up PKI, things like uh, uh, certificate distribution points, which are effectively web servers that store the revocation lists. Um, there are registration authority servers that kind of act like proxies for devices to make connections to for when they request certificates, that type of thing. There's a lot of moving components with PKI. Now, if I am building my own certificate authority, my own PKI, if you will, um, I am effectively saying 
it, it's an internal CA. So I, as an organization, am recognizing that this CA that I've built is authoritative, kind of like building an internal DNS server and hosting a zone on it, or well, that or that as opposed to going out to some independent third party that is you know out on the internet and recognized recognized by uh, the community at large as an authoritative CA. Sure. I mean, if this was a, a web service that you were standing up, an internet web service that uses TLS to authenticate certificates with, then yeah, you you would use um, an external certificate authority, one of the known trusted ones, where the certificate resides, their public key resides in your browser's, browser's trusted certificate store. Because you'd need to prove to organizations other than your own organization. Absolutely. That, that yes, you are who absolutely. you say you are. Yeah. Yeah. But if this is a DMVPN deployment or a remote access VPN deployment of some description that you need to load certificates on, they might not be internet facing. It could be on your private WAN, for example, specifically with DMVPN. Um, you might not have a requirement or a need to to go out to an external authority. You can just use your own internal one. Uh, the chances are a lot of the sort of medium to large enterprises and financial institutions, they tend to have their own PKI infrastructure anyway, because they tend to use it for all of their internal Active Directory certificates for that type of authentication, wireless, that type of thing. Now, you mentioned I can use a Cisco router as a certificate authority. Is that um, pretty commonly done? So I've actually not deployed a DMVPN with using a Cisco router. I have in a lab environment um, ju just to, just to, to learn how it actually works. Um, but the deployments that I've been involved in um, and, and other deployments that I'm aware of, they've they've chosen to use an external PKI authority, although it is, I think it is pretty common um, for people that do use certificates purely because of the simplicity of it. It's very easy to configure a Cisco CA. It's very well documented on Cisco's website. There's lots of design guides for how to do it, um, and it's pretty much copy and paste. It's easy to orchestrate. It's pretty easy to to train your engineers on how to deploy it as well. Is there a lot of management that goes into that though, where you know, maybe the CLI isn't, wouldn't be my first choice and tool to manage such a thing. You know, would I rather have a, I don't know, a Windows server or something with a, with a tool and a GUI on it? The initial deployment of it, so when you actually start deploying certificates on your, on your routers, is, is going to be very CLI driven. That's the same whether you choose to use an external PKI or whether you choose to use the Cisco one. The actual, in terms of key management, do you mean like the, the life cycle of the keys as such, that the ongoing management of it? Or? Ongoing management, right, and seeing certificate statuses and uh, you know these sort of things. Yeah, so you certainly don't, I don't think you have the same level of reporting that you would get if that's the kind of information you're looking to get from, is to find out how many certificates, what, what the lifetimes of the certs are, that type of thing. Um, you're going to get probably a much granular level of reporting out of a a dedicated PKI environment than you probably would from a Cisco CA. You know, you mentioned a root CA and then a sub CA. Would I, if I'm doing this internally, I'm building out my own PKI, would I typically have a, a root and a sub? That depends. Some of the organizations I've worked for will either just have a root, they'll, they'll just have a self-signed root, which is all the root is, uh, and they'll just deploy all their certificates from there. Um, but quite commonly, actually, a lot of people tend to have um, at least a two-tier PKI uh, as a general. Um, the root, they'll usually leave powered down and only brought online to publish new CRLs or to sign a new subordinate CA should they need to. It's pretty best practice these days to leave your root offline 
Um, and then all you have to do then is expose your either your sub CA or your RA, which the RA is effectively a proxy that can handle the connection for you and then pass any certificate request back to the CA. Um, that's it's only the sub CA or the RA that you need to expose to devices versus ex having one single route that you need to expose. And of course, if that becomes compromised, you're in you're in big trouble. Now, you mentioned CRL and the root CA uh, publishing new CRLs from time to time. That is a certificate revocation list. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So every certificate authority is responsible for publishing a CRL for all certificates that it has issued. That's because a certificate revocation list is like a certificate in its own right in that the, the file itself is signed using the CA's private key uh, to make it um, secure so that it can't be tampered with. So a, a, a revocation, certificate revocation list is, is no more than, than a file that contains a list of serial numbers for certificates that have been revoked or deemed as not, no longer trusted. Which you would want to validate that the certificate is being presented to you. you want to, one of the things you'll check to authenticate that certificate is to verify that it's not on a CRL. Uh, yeah, sure. So in DMVPN, for example, if the policy on the on the trust point that you've that you've specified states that no tunnels can be authenticated without first checking the status of the certificate so if, if you've if you've made a a policy decision if you like to say that that is the case all routers when they wave their identity certificates at each other to authenticate the tunnel the router is going to interrogate the uh, look inside of the identity certificate that's waved at it for what's known as a cdp extension certificate distribution point extension and inside of that extension will be the location of where the router needs to go to to uh, retrieve a copy of the crl once it's retrieved the copy of the crl assuming, assuming it doesn't have a cached one because it's done it previously then it will interrogate the crl to make sure that the serial number does not exist on the list for the identity certificate for the for the router that's trying to authenticate with mm, okay Okay, so we've been talking kind of a lot of background information and some terminology to get us set up here because there's this is part of the deal with certificates. There's a bunch of infrastructure pieces and parts that make up this uh, trusted chain of devices that um, that validate that certificate. All right, so let's say, Nick, that we've got our, whatever our PKI is going to look like, we've made our decision about that and we've got a, a root and a sub uh, in place if that's what we've chosen to do. Um, so now we've got this infrastructure that's there available to authenticate certificates. Now I'm a router, I'm a DMVPN router, and I want to participate in this scheme. And instead of using pre-shared keys, I want to use um, these certificates and use this PKI uh, that we've set up. How, how do I do that? What are the steps? Okay. So there are, there are various options If you, for, for deploying to, to spoke routers. So let, let's say, for example, you've you've stood up your hubs um for those people that know sort of about dmvpn then the hubs typically will be um will be within your data centers um and chances are that you're you've only got to provision them once the challenge comes with with provisioning certificates onto your spoke sites especially if you're going to be deploying spokes at, at some at some scale um because obviously you've got the challenge of how do you actually get the certificates on the routers, as, as you mentioned, appreciate keys are relatively simple, right? It's just a static part of the config, you can just paste it on. But a router um, that needs a certificate to authenticate with, 
first of all needs needs to get a certificate and the only way it can do that is it has to first of all generate um, a private public key pair on the router it then takes the public part of that key puts some extensions into it and then creates what's known as a certificate signing request you've then got to get that certificate signing request off the router to your PKI environment to be subsequently signed by by the sub by the subordinate CA. So in, a, in other words, let's just, just unpack that part for a second. The, the router um, has got to create something that is uniquely identifying it and then say to a certificate authority, hey, I, th- this is me and I want you to sign this and basically bless that, yes, indeed, this is me. Yep. Yep. Um, and there are kind of, there, there are two ways you can do that. One way would be what, what they sometimes refer to as offline um, enrollment, where um, it could be, for example, that you're you're not comfortable with exposing your certificate authority um, SCEP servers, so your registration authority servers. You might you might not be comfortable with exposing them even even on a private WAN. Um, in which case, you you would need to do it in an offline manner. Um, and there's really a, there's there's two ways you can do that. One would be either you deploy the certificate to the routers. Um, prior to shipping them to site. That would be one way to do it. Some organizations do it like that. Or you send an engineer to site um, to provision the router and the engineer connects back to the um, to, to a data center where they have access to PKI using a remote access VPN. And then it's a, it's a, a case of having to copy and paste basically to get the signing request off the router, paste it into whatever application your PKI uses click the submit button and uh, hopefully what you get back is a signed certificate. Hmm. Reminds me of the olden days when I was generating certificates for web servers back with, uh, with windows, windows certificate server, whatever the, whatever the exact tool was, I've forgotten, but it was a very similar process. Web server, uh, IIS in that case would generate a request. You'd send it off to the certificate server. You'd, uh, go through a, a, the blessing process. A certificate would be issued and now SSL was enabled, uh, you know, internal stuff anyway, was enabled on that server. So it sounds very similar. It's much the same way. Yeah. I work with Microsoft certificate services quite a lot, uh, for, for the aspects of work that I do. Um, it, it's not changed much, believe me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, so to get the certificate signing request, off the router and send it to um, my PKI to my to my CA. Do I, is this like a configuration step where I have to program into the router what the IP address is or host name of uh, of my CA, or is that something I do you know one time? Okay, so routers have what's what's referred to as as a trust point. Uh, and the trust point will con- is is like a container for all aspects of configuration to do to do with the crypto to do with the authentication of the certificates. So yes, you have what's referred to as an enrollment URL. That enrollment URL is something that you can hard code into the config. The, the challenge is always is is how are you orig- how are you initially going to get a certificate onto the router? So some organisations, as I said, they choose to do um, initially do that in an offline manner. So that's very much a case of the engineer would need to generate a signing request by issuing a command onto the router. Uh, when they get the signing request off, they have to pull that off, paste it into the um, PKI application to get a cert back. When they get the cert back, they then have to manually import that certificate back onto the router itself. Going forward, though, you can then move to what's known as an um, an automatic enrollment. 
um, or an online enrollment method, which comes into where the, the kind of key management aspect of it comes from, where the routers can be configured to automatically um, request a new certificate prior to the old ones expire. Okay, so I've got I've got several choices there, um, and then when the certificate comes back to me, and I've got it on my router now, and then I can wave it at other routers, as you as you put it earlier. Uh, how how is that certificate stored on the router? How is it protected? So the router will save it into the into the MVRAM, but it saves it into a um, I forget I forget the name of I think it's the private dash config folder. It's a it's a special folder that's that's um, protected by Cisco IOS on the router itself. Okay, so it it's saved. It's basically stored in encrypted form. If anybody messed with it, if it was overwritten or or tampered with, it would no longer be valid. Um, and so so therefore I I know that the certificate integrity is maintained because as soon as someone were to be screwing with it, it wouldn't be a valid cert anymore. You you'd break the hash, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've got the certificate on the router. Um, it's stored safely. No one can mess with it. Uh, and now I've got the ability to uh, present it to other routers that I want to authenticate, uh, to pre or present my credentials. This is me. See, the certificate says this is me. You can trust me. So totally. Um, okay. How do I tell the router to use that uh, as opposed to, I mean, in, in DMVPN for pre-shared keys, it's basically a line that tells you exactly what the methodology is going to be. And then a couple other lines that configure the key and so on. Um, how is it, how do you configure it to use certificates instead with uh, DMVPN? Okay. So that will come down to the, on the tunnel interface itself, you have a, a what's known as a tunnel protection profile. And the, that will find its way back to the, configuration of the trust point and the trust point uh, configuration will contain the information of the of the key pair that you intend to use and ultimately the identity certificate that gets used there, there are various other components that, that need to be configured things like certificate maps um, that, that are also sort of bound to the isocamp profiles that type of thing that tell it instruct the router to say um, for this dmvpn ipsec vpn tunnel um, it's an it's a certificate authenticated tunnel and we're going to use this identity certificate to um to authenticate with other routers with now can i be selective where you know say i wanted to do pre-shared keys for certain um remote destinations and i wanted to use certificates for other could i is there a way i could pick and choose i'm not sure <laughs> about that one i, I, I don't um, I, I guess i can't really think of a scenario where i'd want to do that necessarily i mean it seems yeah, like it's not something i've ever done uh, i've i've had a situation where uh, i was i was working for a customer that that required different tunnels so they had a dmvpn tunnel that was certificate authenticated uh, and then they had other tunnel interfaces that were authenticated with pre-shared keys but they were separate tunnels do, do you mean can you authenticate were, with the same tunnel to well, that, I, I think you just hit on the key, yeah, uh, the key. Huh, see what I did there. Um, the, <laughs> you, you can <laughs> by different interfaces, you could select different methodologies, you know, but, but yeah, for absolutely. within a particular DMVPN cloud, you oh, are absolutely. going to, it's, yeah. it's going to be an all or nothing. You know, this DMVPN interface, if I'm using this to participate in this DMVPN cloud, it's certificates. That's just the way it's going to work. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, if I, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've seen, um, I've worked on a number of deployments where there are, it's quite common to have a number of different tunnels for different purposes and different types of traffic patterns, that type of thing. Uh, I've personally never, never 
configured a tunnel to use a mixture of different keys. I, d- I don't think that's possible on one particular tunnel anyway. Yeah, it sounds like some goofball CCIE lab kind of a question. Let you know. Let's let's take this one. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I've got the certificate now. Um, another question about the certificate. I, I know how to, I can present it now, um, but how long is it good for? I mean, these things have expiration dates, right? They do absolutely. Yeah, and that comes into your uh, into your design and planning stages as to how long you require your certificate lifetimes to be um that can come down to a security policy perhaps within your organization that says that our certificates must have no longer lifetime associated to them of 12 months or 24 months uh web server certificates typically have a couple of years on them i think don't they on the internet most of them um i mean it's it's your choice uh obviously the shorter the lifetimes you give on them the the more key management you've got because they have to get new certificates more frequently. Um, but yeah, when it reaches its expiration date, that, that certificate will, will no longer be valid for authentication. And so if who's responsible to make sure that that certificate gets renewed then is the router expected to know about its own dates uh, and say, Oh, I have a certificate that's about to expire. I better go get that renewed. What's that process like? Yeah, so that can be automated. Uh, that's again, a configuration option within the, within the trust point configuration itself where uh, you you can say that at uh, a percentage of the lifetime of the certificate the router will will basically um, go off and and request a new one from whichever location is configured on the enrollment url so if you've specified an enrollment url the router will make a a skep connection back to whether it be your ra server the the proxy effectively or or the or the ca itself um, and at a point in time, so let's say you've got a 12-month certificate, for example, there's a command you can put on, I think it's auto-enroll, um, regenerate 90, I think's the command, um, at which point the, the router will, will, at 90% of the lifetime of the cert, will go off and request a new one, basically. Um, and assuming it, it, that new certificate request is is signed, um, is accepted by the CA and signed, um, it will then periodically uh, connect back to the RA or the CA to say, is my new cert ready yet? Um, if it is, then it will it will download it. It will start to use the, the new certificate that it gets um, for all future ICE authentications. Going to make an inference here that when a uh, expiring certificate is renewed, that the certificate revocation list would also be updated? And that's a good question. I've, t- I've asked a few people about that. I know some people in the PKI industry, and not all PKIs will will add an expired certificate to a revocation list. I, I'm not sure if that's a personal choice or if that's a, a particular implementation of, of the PKI, the vendor that you choose to use. Okay, well, there's some logic there, I guess, now that I'm thinking about this, because if the certificate is expired, that in and of itself invalidates it. So you don't have to have... Yeah. So the serial number two. on a CRL, you know, you're going to be presenting an yeah. expired certificate that you wouldn't trust anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think they use the term. Um, th- there's a, a validation and a verification process. So when when you when you're authenticating a an, an identity a peer and and you're interrogating their identity certificate that that, that they've waved at you, then you would uh, first of all, I, 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 forgive me, I may have it the wrong way around, but the validation process requires a step of checking that the certificate is signed by an authority that you trust. The start and end date is inside of your clock. 
um, or if it's past its expiry date, then you're not going to trust it anyway, at which point it won't even move to the verification process of downloading a CRL and checking the status of the serial number because there's little point. It's not going to use that cert because it's expired. Mm. Um, as to whether or not people um, still revoke certificates that have expired, I'm not sure. I have seen uh, an organization that were building a remote access VPN and they revoked every certificate, whether it's expired or not. Uh, the downside to that, of course, is that your CRL file is going to start to grow. Mm. Well, okay. Well, that's another interesting question then. If I, is there a circumstance you can think of where I would want to revoke a certificate that I've issued to some endpoint in my DMVPN? You know, then then how does that work? I, that end, that router's serial or that certificate serial ends up on the CRL? Yeah. So if you were unfortunate to have a security incident in that you you've got a maybe a spoke site that you can no longer be sure that that device, you know, it's, it's possible that device has been compromised, um, and you need to follow a process whereby you're then going to revoke the identity certificates or all certificates that, that are associated with that with that specific router, um, then those serial numbers for those identity certificates will get added to the to the revocation list, yes. And then when the, the next time the CA publishes a new CRL, um, the routers will will obviously pick that up. Is there a, a message or something I get if I'm a, a DMVPN spoke router and my certificate is no longer valid and uh, and so I can't bring up a tunnel? Is there some log message or something I can count on so that I, as the operator, know what's happening? If you're troubleshooting a, a connection specifically, do you mean if you if you can't get a spoke that can authenticate? Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So obviously the, you, you're going to see some some events in the logs. There are some various. Um, extra options you can you can add to the um to the config i think crypto logging session is a favorite of mine uh, if you enable that 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 tends to beef out the the logs with a bit more useful information uh, the bit you're looking for i guess is um is the bit that says can't trust the id sir because it's been revoked right <laughs> that's what you like to think that, <laughs> that that you can see um but i, I don't know if you've ever been through cisco cisco debugs um but they they're quite they're quite comprehensive right <laughs> yeah, well that that's exactly right i mean phase one phase two and you're reading through um a lot of very cryptic um messages about the crypto exchanges as they're going back and forth trying to put a pin on a specific match, they go, ah, that's it. That's the thing. And it can be very difficult because there's so much information. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I, th I think if you, if you work a lot with troubleshooting certificate based auth issues, then you kind of get, get used to, to, to kind of looking for, for, for where that needle is in the hair, in the haystack. Cause it, it is very, um, sipping from the fire hose type thing, and then when you see the debug outputs come back on the screen, if you if you've got within your within your sort of troubleshooting guide, if you like that that you know exactly what to look for, then it's just a ca case of just doing a control F, pulling the debugs off, and just having a look for it that way. Hmm, okay. So one thing that it's kind of implied to me in in as I listen to this is the the significance of the CAs, the roles that they play. Um, they are used to issue certificates. They're used to validate that the certificate you've got is a, is a good one. Uh, so how would I build that CA infrastructure? Do I need to have multiple CAs out there, like in a redundant format? Or is there a, a strategy I would use to make sure that those CAs are always available? Now, that's a tricky one. Um, specifically with with CAs, that, that there's, there's only one private key associated with it. Um, and that 
you can't lose that key right that that that's an integral part of it of, of the whole of the whole pki infrastructure so there are some of the pki vendors offer clustering facilities where you can have highly available um servers which are which are clustered um people that don't have a lot of appetite for clustering and that type of thing will you, you can have you basically just have to have really good backups right so that in the event that you have a problem uh with a ca that you can bring it back uh, online and start the services back up in a in a promptly manner <laughs> that's yeah yeah <laughs> Well, oh, okay. Well, actually, there's more to the story here then, isn't there? Because it's not just the CA. There's actually other pieces and parts that have to be available uh, along the way. So, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. So what about, well, what about CRL, Certificate Revocation List? I'm just thinking through the process here. If I, if I can't get the CRL for some reason, does that stop me from bringing up a tunnel? So if the configuration states that we must, that the router must interrogate a crl to check the status of a, of a of an identity certificate and it can't get a crl then yeah you're you're going to be in a bad place crl availability is absolutely critical in in any any deployment whether it's dmvpn or remote access vpns if you say um we're not going to establish a tunnel or authenticate a, a peer without first checking the status of the cert and it can't check the status of the cert then it's game over the tunnel won't come up and you're going to cause an outage so crl availability is 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 absolutely critical i think a an escalation engineer once told me that most of the faults that they to do with certificate based auth was attributed to crl availability oh wow okay yeah well i uh, i mean it, it does make sense right it's one of those things where if you're concerned about security enough that you want to use certificates then implied in that is you really need to know the validity of that certificate because that's part of the point i mean if you don't care about whether or not the certificate you've issued is valid why not just use pre-shared keys and call it good enough so i mean it does to me kind of make sense that you would you, maybe you would insist on crl availability uh, well, maybe you can comment, Nick, on how common common that is. Um, do, is it typical to insist on um, checking the validity of that cert through uh, reviewing the CRL? It, it depends. Um, it, it's interesting because if you go through certain vendor, uh, sort of firewall vendors or load balancer vendors documentation, um, I, I say I, I work with certificates quite a lot on, on a number of different devices. And whenever you go through their technical documentation, so a lot of the time you see the CRL button unchecked, <laughs> suggesting that huh. it's not actually um, requiring a, 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 a to, to interrogate a CRL. Uh, however, if you're choosing um, to use certificates from a security standpoint um, and obviously status checking of, of identity of certs is a requirement because it, you know that that's that's the thing. If, you, if you've gone with appreciate key, if you've only got a few sides, um, and and you have a reason to believe that key's been compromised, then you have to change the key on on all of the devices. But how how do you manage that at really large scale? Right, that's what that's where the certificates come in. But obviously, the the other side of that is that if you don't use CRLs, how do you how do you stop a, a a compromised key from being used to authenticate? You've you've got to download the CRL. So it, it really depends on on how much appetite people have got for that whole CRL availability thing because it, it really is tricky. You've got to really make sure that those CRLs are available. I mean, there, there are 
there are two different aspects to it as well. There's there's the CRL. So on a Cisco DMVPN router, there's a, you have um, the Cisco routers will cache a CRL for the lifetime of the CRL that it was published. So let, let's say your CA publishes a CRL because CRLs have a lifetime as well, just like a certificate does. So let's say your CA publishes a CRL with a one week lifetime on it. The first time um, a router, once it's booted up, um, as soon as a, a peer tries to to authenticate with that router, it will and it requires a CRL. The router will download the CRL, but then it will cache that CRL uh, for the for the period of of the lifetime of that cert, of that CRL. So if it's a one week CRL, it will keep it in the cache. Um, it won't survive. At, the cache doesn't survive a reload. I'll add of the router itself. It's it's something that gets loaded in. Um, at the first point and then and then it stays in in the actual cache itself but so that gives you some some degree of uh availability if you like because it will use um the cached crl um if if it's got one the the issue comes is if it it gets very very close to the end of the expiration of that crl uh, say it expires um within an hour say for example um and your CRL goes up your availability strategy, so your web servers or something in your infrastructure means that that CRL is no longer available. Then you're going to have a problem because that router's got less than an hour. To get, you've got to you've got to get that back online again because the the router's going to need a new CRL in an hour's time. So, and so there's a lot of pieces here. I mean, DNS. There's the web server that's serving up the CRL. There's, ugh, I mean, so it ends up being any sort of. Um, thought process that you would follow for redundancy and resiliency. You really have to go through that same sort of thought process from the standpoint of your DMVPN routers. Can they get access to this piece of uh, information that they need to bring that tunnel up? And so you you have to design with that sort of criticality in mind. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there there are there are options to obviously when when a Cisco uh, when any device interrogates the CDP extension in a cert to find out where where it can find the CRL. If names have been used in the form of DNS, FQDNs, for example, then um, yeah, the, the, the device needs to then do a DNS lookup, right, to to, to find out where, where it may, needs to make a connection to, to, to pull that CRL down. Um, you can, on routers, you could use uh, static IP hosts. If you, if you want a, a safety catch, then, uh, and you're not comfortable with because you at that point you've got a dns availability issue as well right if you're going to mm. do dns dynamic dns lookups um to find the <laughs> yeah. location of the crl then the, you know there are so many uh components of crl availability itself uh dns um your web servers how how available are your web servers uh do you have confidence in your um fancy load balancers with the in a ha cluster and you're not going to have any problems with those <laughs> You know, there's oh. so many components to it. You've just got to really look at all of those components and, and think what would happen if this went offline? Would You know, how would that cause me a problem? Well, let's talk about some other troubleshooting. I mean, the, the certificate revocation list and whether or not you can access it is is optional, and it sounds like it's not everyone requires it. Um, but, but there is part of a troubleshooting process. Were you able to access the CRL or not, depending on whether or not you decided to require such a thing to bring up the tunnel? Um, what are some other troubleshooting tips that you would recommend uh, folks go through if they're uh, struggling with cert-based DMVPN and tunnels not coming up? And they suspect it to perhaps be a CRO availability problem or just Oh, no, a, we can move just, on just from that, general. just other things, okay. yeah. 
the, the kind of things that you, you you need to be looking at in, in the first instance is uh, look at things like the start and end dates of the certificates on the router. So if if you're troubleshooting a a router that can't establish a tunnel, just just have a look at the certificates. If you know, show crypto PKI certificates, um, just have a look at what all the start and end dates to them are. Make sure that it's it's got a valid cert um, in the first instance, because uh, as as we've established, an, an expired certificate is useless to anybody. Check things like the the clocks. So NTP is is critical in a in a in a, any type of um, crypto environment in, in general, but certificates are particularly sensitive to NTP. Um, for two clocks, sorry. So an example of that would be if you've had a router that's recently refreshed its certificate for a new key uh, and the CA clock is running slightly out from, from, the, from the rest of the routers, then the certificate might not be valid to, to be used. It could be that it's, it, uh-huh. it's two or three minutes in the future before the router can even use that certificate, right? So Because somebody's time has is, is, uh, yeah. crept, crept out and uh and is incorrect yeah i get it yeah yeah i've seen that not on dmvpn i've i've seen that on some on some firewall remote access vpns that i've that i've worked with where that that was that was a problem the the keys were rotated and uh the the certificates just just weren't valid uh at at that point weren't valid Um, temporarily however long the time was off but yeah if things got if somebody really wasn't paying attention that could be really ugly yeah it it could do yeah yeah Mm. absolutely if, if you've made those types of checks um, and you're pretty sure that your configuration, I mean, if you're doing a big DMVPN deployment at, at large scale, you'd like to think that you had pretty nailed down configuration templates, right? That um, that becomes a numbers game at that point. You know, do you sort of usual verification that your, your configuration on one device that's working fine matches the configuration on a device that's not? Uh, rule out those types of things. There's a lot of configuration options, um, ISOCAMP profiles, uh, the IPsec profiles, certificate maps, uh, all kinds of quite intricate configuration that can that can affect, um, you know, could be causing you some problems. Um, you can do uh, CRL availability checks from the router itself if you if you believe that actually the issue you've done some kind of debug. Um, so. If, if you've done a you've pulled out from the debug logs that you believe actually this might be the fact that the the router's not able to to retrieve a CRL, you, you can you can actually do some tests from the router itself. You can you can tell net to the to the web server um, and actually attempt to do a retrieval of the CRL directly on on your CLI through your terminal screen um, to see whether that router can actually reach the CRL itself. Yeah, just tell you would be telnetting to uh, uh, a port and getting a socket open back and then yep. issuing a get command and seeing yep, if something absolutely. comes back. Yeah, yeah, I mean what what you get back will be will appear as garbage on your on your on your terminal session because the the router won't read it because the CRL will likely be in a base 64 encoded format of some description so mm-hmm. but that you you'll know that you've retrieved it because you'll get a whole bunch of garbage appear on your screen you'll probably have to disconnect and reconnect to your terminal session again yeah um, the, the classic connectivity check you know just do it from the standpoint of don't make sure that the server is available from your workstation because that's useless make sure it's available from the router and what better way to simpler way to do that than with the built-in telnet client yeah off you go. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so some good troubleshooting stuff there. Now I, I got to admit all of this that we've talked through, um, for, especially for folks that have maybe never looked into certificate stuff, it's p- potentially a little bit overwhelming. Is there, uh, 
I don't know, t- training or something you would recommend that could maybe help people get up to speed on this and get them comfortable? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're not used to working with certificate-based authentication, I, I generally find people are, are, are pretty pretty afraid of certificate-based authentication. <laughs> it, it makes it makes people shudder, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen the Lion King film where uh, the Whoopi Goldberg's character says the word Mufasa. Have you, have you seen that film? Do you know, Mufasa. No, it's been a while, but yeah, sure. <laughs> Certificates are like that. I, I see people shudder whenever they, whenever yeah. they have to do anything to do with that. <laughs> and that's pu- pu- purely an exposure thing, I think, right? Is that, um, I mean, you can, you can quite easily um, set up a, a virtual environment now. There are so many virtualization tools out there. Cisco virals are, are a really good one. You can you can build out a DMVPN deployment and you, you can configure certificate-based auth. Um, if, if your PKI services are virtual as well, then you can quite quickly on a on, on a reasonably decent spec machine um, build an entire environment, in, including a PKI. Microsoft CA services, for example, is is really straightforward to set up. It's pretty much next, 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 finished. I, I make that sound a bit easier, but th- there's a little bit of thought that needs to go into how you actually deploy it. But if you just want to um, have a go at um, and actually configuring it and, and seeing how the, the technology works and, and get comfortable with it, then you can pretty much do most of your training and, and studying on, on within a virtual environment. I, I, I really recommend um, for organizations with, with large ops teams to to really focus on training and, and, and really refresh your training as well so that the ops teams have um, that their skills stay sharp with certificate-based um, authentication issues all of the time because it's very easy when you put these deployments out. If, you, if you've designed it well and you've deployed it well, Things will go right for months and months, possibly even years, right? And then, and then, when you get that first problem, um, if you've if you've if it's been some time since you've troubleshooted it, it can it can be really hard. Um, yeah, because you've got to, you really got to remember exactly how this process works when you're uh, issuing certificates, bringing up a tunnel, uh, all the different pieces and parts that are involved in that. As long if it's been like you said, if it's been working for months or years, you're like, mm. I don't remember. I set that up two years ago. I. <laughs> Now it's broken. Oh, and you're trying to remember how all. So the refresher helps prevent that situation where you haven't thought about it for two years, and now it's now it's time to fix a problem because everything's down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I like the war game scenario. I think that's always really great if you have teams of people. Um, if that's something that that you that you can you can you can set up and stage, then um, that that's really good. Um, because it kind of it gets people make it a little bit fun if you like it's um, tr- trying to get people working with them as as, as frequently as possible uh, to be fair a lot of organizations they, they don't have a great deal of time do they that's the problem to, for, for additional and refresher training does this choice of um, certificates versus pre-shared keys and is, is there a, a business impact here that needs to be talked about as well the problem is, is, is you can get the technology part of it and your configuration part of it nailed really down really, really well. Um, the kind of thing that you, you do need to consider are, are the kind of, yeah, as you say, the business kind of processes. The best example I could give for that would be um, if you're a fairly large organization and you have a separate server team that maybe looks after the PKI infrastructure, a separate team to the networking team that look after the DMVPN deployment, then you need to make sure that that you've got all your business processes are sound. Everybody knows how to communicate with each other. Everyone knows how to escalate tickets in the event that they think there might be a problem. It's 
those kinds of things that can that can really catch you out uh, from my experience it's not just the technical aspect of it it's the business aspect of it as well um, things like on-call rotors that type of stuff okay there was a lot here i mean would you do you think certificate-based dmvpn is is always the right choice or do you think it's fine at times to just use pre-shared keys <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a loaded question. I know there's not a, like a right answer, but I'd like your take anyway. So it's either scalability or, or, or security, right? There are, there are the two two reasons that you would pick one, one or the other. I say I, I, I work with certificates a lot. I think if it's something that you're comfortable with, you kind of see the benefits of it. Um, personally, I'd, I'd go with, I would go with certificate-based auth. Um, mm. That's just my personal thing. But I appreciate it's a lot of work and a lot of extra complexity um, to go with certificates over a pre-shared key, which is just a static part of the config. It's far simpler, right, to go with a pre-shared key. So. Well, Nick, this has been a fun show. We did uh, Packet uh, Pushers Priority Queue Show 103 was on designing a build with some with DMVPN, and then we've kind of advanced on that with certificate-based uh, issues for DMVPN specifically in this show, which is supposed to be Priority Queue number 104. Um, Nick, thanks for your time and for volunteering this. I mean, you you reached out to me, I believe, and uh, you know via email, and we we designed this show, um, and all, all the hard work went to you. I just got to ask questions. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> No, thanks for having me. It's been it's been good fun. Well, can people follow you? Are you uh, do you blog or on Twitter or anything like that where people could catch up with you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Nick P Moody. That's N I C K P and then M W O D Y. Uh, I I do have a blog. Um, I try to write as often as I can, but it's it's always hard these days finding the time. <laughs> um, I blog at uh, netassured.co.uk, um, and you can find me on on LinkedIn. All right. Well, thanks, Nick, for uh, spending time with Packet Pushers here today. And thanks to you uh, for listening to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks. And the show is at Packet Pushers on Twitter, where you can keep up with shows like this and all of our other shows, including Network Break, uh, Data Knots, and, of course, our weekly Packet Pushers show on data networking, the way we got started. Uh, there's also at Packet Pushers and at the community blog, by the way, that are uh, that's Engineers like uh, Nick, who just share their stories, um, talk about the things that they've learned. Sometimes it's work, like career stuff. Sometimes it's uber nerdy stuff. Sometimes it's, we had somebody working on an open source project sit and just talk through all of the new code that they'd written for a, a, a DM, let's see, what did they call it? DME VPN solution where they're running uh, in a DM VPN style uh, VXLAN tunnels. It was it was awesome. You know, th these are the kind of things you can find at packetpushers.net at our community blog. Anyway, follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We're also on LinkedIn if you'd like to follow us there. We are on Facebook. And if you would rate us on iTunes, we would really appreciate that. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough. <laughs>